Hello, my name is Van Sneed, and welcome to another episode of The PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another called The Postscript. Now, on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe each week will speak with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. Here on this podcast, the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of those topics that are being discussed and we'll dive in just a bit deeper. Now, in our last episode, we took a look at an introduction to textual criticism, and we're going to continue with that topic today. So, let's do this thing. So if you've listened to the show before, you know that we do a bunch of review, especially if we're in a series like this one. So we'll try and keep our review as short as possible to get into today's content, but I do want to make sure that we're all tracking along with what we're exploring. So one of the key components of our discussion has been defining a faith-based view versus a critical view. And we've been looking at a faith-based view as that which believes that God has supernaturally preserved his word, that the Bible is perfect, that it's inerrant, and that's because God said that he would do it and is doing it. The view that's contrary to this is a critical view of Scripture, and this is one where God hasn't preserved his word. God inspired it in the original writings, but it but it hasn't been preserved to every generation, and so man has a responsibility through scientific means like textual criticism to discover the true and authentic text of the Bible. So here's what you would find Blue Letter Bible saying about textual criticism and textual critics. Quote, the science of attempting to reconstruct the text of documents is known as textual criticism. The person who practices textual criticism is known as a textual critic. While the word criticism usually carries the idea of finding fault with something, this is not the case here. Rather, the term is used with the idea of weighing and evaluating the available evidence to come up with the original wording of a text. Textual criticism collects and examines the evidence about written works in an attempt to recover the original text. Therefore, textual criticism is not criticizing the Bible, Because no originals exist of the 66 books of the Bible, textual criticism must be applied to Scripture to reconstruct the true text. Now, as it relates to our last episode, we saw that a man named Johann Jacob Griesbach was largely responsible for helping to develop the rules behind textual criticism. And we read a lot of them. We're not going to recount all of them here, but here are two highlights. The shorter reading is preferred over the longer, and the harder reading is preferred over the easier. And if you'll remember again from the last episode, one of the conclusions that we came to is that the work of a textual criticism is not nearly as objective as it would seem to be. There is is a great deal of subjectivity as it relates to discovering, reconstructing the true text. So for today's content, what I want to look at is the fruit of textual criticism. And to do this, I really want to take a look at a quote by a man named Dan Wallace. And let me tell you, this quote is, it's crazy, y'all. Like, it's, it's really interesting. But I don't want to take Mr. Wallace out of context. Let me give you a little backstory on him first. 
Dan Wallace is the Senior Research Professor of New Testament Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary and Executive Director of the Center for Study of New Testament Manuscripts. So, in other words, this dude's like real smart. Real smart, guys. And he recently wrote the foreword to a book titled Myths and Mistakes in New Testament Textual Criticism. And it's the foreword of the book and a quote within that foreword that I want to direct our attention to. But again, I don't want to take Mr. Wallace out of context. So we're going to read a sizable excerpt from the foreword. I think it'll be very telling. And then we'll call out kind of kind of the main quote that we want to really kind of hammer in on. Uh, towards the end of today's podcast. And we're also going to break down this longer excerpt into chunks and talk about those just to make it easier to single out and identify the different arguments that are being made. So here's the first section of the excerpt that we'll read. Quote, We no longer live in a black and white world. We never did really, but those who are embroiled in debates about the Bible have often viewed things in such binary hues. These achromatic ideologies can be found on both sides of the theological aisle. Now, there are a couple of things I want to call out here. First is that this really sets the tone for the rest of the things that we're going to hear today. Wallace is going to establish two views of Scripture that he deems to be extreme. And what he's going to do is argue that we should not be on one side or the other as it relates to these two views but that a more nuanced view of Scripture is necessary. And Wallace is going to call these views radical skepticism and absolute certainty. The other thing I want to call your attention to is achromatic is your word of the day. It's really good. Like I told you, this bro is like really smart. Okay, let's continue with the quote. Let's take a look at Wallace's first view, radical skepticism. Quote, Many who have abandoned the unreflective beliefs they grew up with now cling just as unreflectively to unmitigated skepticism towards the New Testament text. The Dan Browns and Kurt Eichenwalds of our world can liken with a straight face the scribal copying of scripture to the parlor game of telephone. To them, the text has been corrupted so badly that attempting to recover the original wording is like looking for unicorns. It's an impossible task because it is a search for something that does not exist. So in this first view, the radical skepticism view, the text, particularly in, 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 in Wallace's quote, the text of the New Testament is wholly corrupted with absolutely no chance of recovery. And again, Wallace is saying, don't take this view. So let's continue with the quote by taking a look at the second view that Wallace describes, that of absolute certainty. Quote, On the other hand, some apologists for the Christian faith speak of nearly absolute certainty when it comes to the wording in the New Testament. And lay people routinely think of their Bible as the Word of God in every detail. They are blissfully unaware that Bible translations change because language evolves, interpretations that affect the translation become better informed, and all translation is interpretation, and the text that is being translated gets tweaked. Biblical scholarship is not idle. Yet even the publisher of the ESV translation, extremely popular among evangelicals, contributed to this fictive certitude when it declared in August 2016 that, 
quote, the text of the ESV Bible will remain unchanged in all future editions printed and published by Crossway, unquote. The next month, they admitted, quote, this decision was a mistake, end quote. When a publishing house tries to canonize its Bible translation, what does this say to the millions of readers who know nothing of Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic? All right, so that's a much larger chunk to unpack. But again, contextually, remember that this view, this absolute certainty view that views the New Testament text, and by extension, the Old Testament text as well, as absolutely trustworthy in the Bible that we hold in our hands, Dan Wallace says we should not take this view. This is an extreme view in much the same way that a radical skepticism view was an extreme view. A couple key things to call out here as well. First, notice that Wallace says that we lay people are blissfully unaware of the complexities of Bible translation. That that seems to me just a tad bit condescending, but I may be in my feels about this. You can judge for yourself. Also, Wallace sees interpretation as a necessary part of the translation process. So we've got subjectivity in the canons or rules of textual criticism and essentially subjectivity in the translation process because interpretation is a part of that process. Also, you see that Dan Wallace references Crossway's decision back in August of 2016. It's kind of hilarious because, yes, they did indeed say in August of 2016, the ESV is going to be unchanged forever. And then like a literal month later, they said, hey, yo. Uh, So about that thing, it's like it's like they did the Homer backwards walk into the bushes. It was (sighs) it was pretty hilarious. So. Now let's hear Wallace's plea for nuance. Quote, These two attitudes, radical skepticism and absolute certainty, must be avoided when we examine the New Testament text. And again, that's kind of the whole point of this excerpt so far. Wallace sees these two views as unhelpful, and what we need is a nuanced view. Now, this is going to be problematic for us because although we wouldn't we wouldn't use the same the same terms as as Wallace is using we absolutely do believe in the certainty of the New Testament text as we have it in our King James Bible. I believe that when I open up my Bible that I am reading the very words of God and I do not have to question that in any way shape or form because I also believe through scripture, like Psalm 12, 6 and 7, Matthew 5, 18, that God himself has promised to preserve his words to me right now in 2021, almost 2022, or whatever year in which you are listening to this. And so with that, we're going to come to it, the statement that we've been building up to. And again, we've read and spent time taking a look at the previous excerpts, the context around this quote so that we're not mischaracterizing Mr. Wallace's statement at all. But here's what it is. Quote, We do not have now in our critical Greek texts or any translations exactly what the authors of the New Testament wrote. 
even if we did, we would not know it. Now, if I had a soundboard, I would have just dropped the hold up because this to me is, again, it's, it's a bombshell of a statement, right? So in the critical view of scripture, the only inspired document is the original. And yet Wallace says that we wouldn't know what the original was. And again, in his view, that's what's inspired. We wouldn't know what that document was, even if it was in our possession. And so this quote kind of leads us to one question that I think would be a natural question to ask. If the employing of textual critical methods is unable to recover the original writings, then why would one trust textual criticism to deliver the Bible? If you got an answer to that, let me know. So as always, guys, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the PS Plus. I want to also let you know that spring enrollment for LFBI, the 2022 spring semester is open right now. And amongst the classes, you're going to find one on manuscript evidence taught by Pastor Alan Shelby. And so if any of this is piquing your interest, you definitely want to sign up for that class. I hope this podcast and this series has so far been helpful for you, and I hope to talk to you next time. Take care.